0: Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. We have been all year long talking about the good news. This is the year of the good news here at New Freedom Church. And of course, what we know that to be is we know that is the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And there were four particular writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who gave to us an account of Jesus' life. I guess you could call these like a biography, autobiography of Jesus' life. And so this would be a way in which we can look back and see what did Jesus do, what did he teach, and how then should we form our lives in this same way? Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 5, and we noticed some key markers of what it looks like to have a life that is following Jesus. And today, I want us to take a glimpse at the Jesus way. Everybody say, the Jesus way. Back in the 90s, they did it like this. What would Jesus do? Or maybe a bracelet, WW? Some of you still have the bracelets, I see. So... This is the Jesus way, and we're going to look at this today in slowing down for a moment, which is very countercultural for our time, and absorbing what it means to live the abundant life that Jesus has for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 6. I want to read the first five verses. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first. So this is the third Sabbath, the second after the first that Jesus went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked heads of grains and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answered and said, have you not read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how that they went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and gave it to some of those with him, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath. The word Sabbath is not a word that we toss around much in our everyday conversations, but I believe that it it is important if we're going to look at this word and look at the context of what Jesus was saying here today, I believe it's important to define what does Sabbath mean? What is Sabbath? We'll simply define Sabbath means rest or to stop. To rest or to stop. A little uncomfortable, isn't it? Just even stopping for a moment without continuously carrying on the conversation, with continuously pacing with the message, it's a little bit uncomfortable when we stop. Why is that? We live in such a breakneck speed society, such a hurried life. If we can't pop it in the microwave and have it done in 30 seconds, it's way too long, don't we? But when we stop, what we are doing is we are Sabbathing. In his book, On Pause or Sabbath, Terry Hershey says this. He he recounts a story about a young rabbi's son, and this rabbi's son would come in after school, and he would, he would take his backpack and put it on the table, and he would immediately go out into the woods. His dad watched him do this for day after day until it became weeks, and he would be out there about 30 minutes at a time. And one day, finally, he came in, and the rabbi said to his son, son, why are you going out into the woods every day after school? I noticed that this has become a routine, and I'm not saying that you're doing anything wrong or that you're up to mischief, but what are you doing out in the woods? And the little boy looked to his dad and he said, Dad, I go out into the woods so that I can pray to God. And his dad said, well, certainly I have taught you. You're a rabbi's son. Certainly you know that God is everywhere. You can talk to God anywhere. God is the same. And he said, yes, Father, but I am not. I am different in the woods. You are different when you stop. You are different when you take time. When you truly listen to understand instead of to respond. How many conversations are we in? We're already formulating our response and not even really listening to the crux of what someone is saying because we want to make sure that we really get our point across. We want to make sure that we have that pithy response, that we know how that we can turn that corner and we can really go at them with the right thing to say. But we are different when we pause, when we rest, when we stop. Our text here today, the disciples of Jesus were criticized for working. This was literally working. To grab, grab the grain and to, to roll it in their hands and eat it. it was considered in that day to be a form of labor. And they were doing something on a day that was set aside for rest that was not lawful to do. Now, here's what you have to understand about first century Christianity. We're we just entering into this phase right here. Jesus is laying the groundwork for first century Christianity, but then even First century Judaism taught that not only was the Sabbath sacred, but if you broke the Sabbath, it was socially unacceptable, yes, but it was actually punishable by death. You could be killed for not keeping the Sabbath. Now, let me just share with you a couple of the things that was unlawful on the Sabbath. You can do the, a quick Google search and you can find these for yourselves. But the Mishnah was a book that was written uh, by the, the rabbis through hundreds and even thousands of years. And it was kind of a, a book that was a commentary on the Old Testament. You know, we have commentaries today and you can look up a, a scripture and then you can see, well, what do the commentators say about it? Well, the rabbis, they all had their own commentary. It was called the Mishnah. And many of the, many of the people in this day would, would view the Mishnah as kind of a parallel to the Word of God. The Word of God was higher, it was elevated, but you really had to keep these laws too. And so there were 39 types of labor that was forbidden on the Sabbath. Notice, these were not God's forbidden Sabbath rules. These were man's forbidden Sabbath rules. The first eleven were steps that were in preparation to make bread. Now that's pretty important because in that day bread was a a main staple of what they ate. We all we like bread to this day. We call it breaking of bread when we have a time of fellowship together. But eleven steps were forbidden on the Sabbath for making bread. Twelve of them applied for making clothing. Seven were forbidden for preparing a carcass of an animal or for making of leather. And there was even a remaining uh, prohibition against writing, building, kindling a fire, or even putting out a fire. Here's one that I thought was was really interesting. That you could not go more than a Sabbath day's journey on the Sabbath, which was two-thirds of a mile. You go up to two-thirds of a mile. Now, you better live real close to Kroger's if you want to eat on the Sabbath because you can't go more than a Sabbath day's journey. Here's another one. To look in a mirror that is fixed on a wall, it was forbidden on a Sabbath. To even light a candle was forbidden on the Sabbath. And that if you had to have a handkerchief on the Sabbath, it needed to be sewed into your garment. You think about the preparation and thought that needed to go into a day of rest. Like, mama had to make sure all the bread was made. Daddy had to make sure all the leather was prepared, the the meal was ready. And then if somebody had to sneeze, but they forgot to put a garment that was attached to their, you had to go to your brother and say, let me use your your hanky today. All of these things were forbidden on the Sabbath. And here's what Jesus does, he, he uses this Old Testament text And true to form, Jesus is always looking at a way in which to reveal truth and show the light to the religious society of his day, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. And he uses their own scriptures. He goes back and borrows from the Old Testament and says, yeah, my disciples may have pulled the grain off and they may have eaten that because they were hungry on the Sabbath and we were journeying through the field. But don't you remember when David, you know, revered David, King David, the one that was the mighty giant killer, the one that uh, was was king of all of Israel, the guy that you really revere, King David, that guy. Yeah, you're king. Remember how he went into the temple and ate the showbread, which was not lawful to be eaten. And it astounded them. It stumped them. They didn't know what Jesus was getting at, but I'll tell you what Jesus was getting at is he's telling them that keeping the spirit of the Sabbath was more important than the man-made regulations and rules of a certain day that was set aside. And if we can Contemporarily apply this to our lives, there is something about keeping the spirit of the law of God versus just the written law of God. Now, the written law of God is important, and it's vital. But the New Testament and the Apostle Paul tells us that the letter brings death, the spirit brings life. And Jesus is trying to reveal to them that it's not so much important keeping your regulations as it is the spirit of what God is doing and why that God set aside this time to begin with. Said another way, Jesus is instituting his own way. This is the Jesus way. Throughout the Gospels, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, we see revealed these methods about the Jesus way, the Jesus way of life. Some have called them spiritual disciplines. Now, I don't like to call these spiritual disciplines because we, in our culture, we don't like the word discipline, do we? We don't like anything that is associated with having to be disciplined. We, we get a notion of that's school language, that's, that's, you know, kindergarten type stuff. I don't need, I'm not, I'm out of elementary, I don't need to be disciplined. So let me just say it like this. Let's call these, instead of spiritual disciplines, let's call them intentional, healthy, human rhythms of abundant life. Isn't that easier? (laughs) But that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what the rabbis were doing, is they were overcomplicating things. They had taken 10 original commandments, and by the time of Jesus, they had come up with 613 laws. They have overcomplicated it. And this is what we do. We overcomplicate things. They couldn't go more than two-thirds of a mile, but they could be mean to their spouse. They couldn't go more than a, a certain distance, but they could certainly talk and gossip and backbite because that wasn't specifically written in their rules. If you go a little deeper, you'll find that though they couldn't do these things themselves, they could hire a Gentile to do it for them. Now get this. I can't light a candle on the Sabbath day because I'm a religious person, but I can pay someone to light the candle for me. I can't put out my fire on a Sabbath day because that's holy for the Lord, but I can pay someone to do that. Does that sound like anybody today when we go from the church service and we go over to the restaurant and we're looking down our nose at the waitress saying, why aren't you in church today? Well, she has to work today and you're paying her to do what you don't want to do on the day that you set aside the Lord. Oh, I know, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. (laughs) Listen, we as followers of Jesus should not just simply keep the letter of the law, but we should understand the spirit of the law. I'll never forget being a first year Bible college student in Columbus when we got called in on the very first Monday after the weekend that we had moved in. We got called on the Monday into a chapel service. Now, chapel service was an exciting time. I mean, you're going to get pumped up, built up for the Lord. You're going to get just a spiritual rallying cry, and you're going to be ready to take on the world for Jesus. When the dean of students walks to the podium, and he says, "Okay, listen, some of you new students don't understand a principle that we are going to observe as students here. And that is, if you cannot afford a 20% tip on the restaurant bill, then you need to go to McDonald's where you don't have to tip. Because some of the local restaurants have called and they have said that over the weekend, our students were in their establishments. They ran the waitress all around the restaurant and didn't even leave a tip. Now that is a bad reflection, not only on our school, but on you as followers of Jesus. So don't pay someone else to do what you wouldn't do yourself. Be willing to do it. And if you can't make that tip happen, then don't go to that restaurant. That was a a proof positive sign that it's it's one thing to keep the letter, but the spirit of the law is so much more important. And so what are we really doing when we Sabbath? What are we doing when we take a rest? Jesus reveals in verse 5 that there is something about this day that they had wrong because he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, and he's now going to set it free. He's going to unbuckle it. He's going to release this into liberty. So instead of this being a legalistic rule-keeping day, Jesus is declaring that now this is to be a celebratory day. Anybody familiar with the term TGIF? Thank God it's We love that, right? Thank God it's Friday. We work five long, hard days so that we can work and we can rest and we can play, right? That, I mean, some people play and they, 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 they play so hard all weekend long that they're more tired over the weekend than they are during the weekday. But have you ever noticed that some of the very people who are TGIF fans, that they can't wait till it's Friday so that they can get to that weekend they're the ones that do the, the things all weekend long that, that j- just you know, fill up their soul, fill up everything that they want. But then there's this, this Sunday night dread that starts to settle in about 7 o'clock at night. You've had your dinner time, and Sunday night dread is this kind of cloud over you knowing that Monday is knocking at your door. And that, that, that Sunday night dread comes upon us because what happens is That long-awaited weekend that we had so desired, we did all the things we wanted to do, yet the very thing we desired the most was never fulfilled because only Jesus can give us true Sabbath. Only Jesus can really fill up that desire that we all have for rest, for pause, for stopping. Now, this is not a message about do's and don'ts. In fact, this is a wide open message of that there is a deep down on the inside of every human being, a desire because God created us this this way, that God worked six days and then on the seventh, what did he do? He rested. This is written into the laws of the universe. Go talk to any farmer. You can't just continuously break up the soil and plant and break up the soil and plant and break up the soil and plant. There has to be a time in which the ground lays fallow in which the minerals are able to be restored, in which there is a time that it can breathe again, that it cannot work again. You just cannot take an animal and breathe it time and time and time again and work it time and time again. And nor can you take your body, your vessel, your mind, your energy and work it and work it and work it because the body keeps a score. And either you're going to take a Sabbath or your body will take a Sabbath on you. And then you'll be getting a phone call. The pastor's coming to visit. Now, I don't do many hospital visits anymore, but when I do, it's usually someone who's in pretty dire shape. So you don't want me coming to visit you at Bethesda North or Kettering Hospital. It's probably not a very good scene. Give yourself a Sabbath rest on a regular basis. God recommends, commands in the Old Testament, every seventh day. But let's talk about commands for a minute because there is a difference between a command versus an invitation. The Jesus way is not a command. Listen to me. The Jesus way is not a command. We don't like commands. They seem rigid, stuffy, something that adults give to children. We've graduated from commands, right? The Old Testament is filled with commands. Start with the first 10. And then there's other... uh, ancillary commands around that. And if I were to read to you right now, the 10 commandments, if we were to go to Exodus chapter 20 and we were to read over the 10 commandments, I doubt very seriously that anyone in here would take an objection with and say, you know what, pastor, I really don't like that one about stealing. I think everybody should just steal from me. <laughs> pastor, no, you know, I take exception with this one about, you know, you shouldn't envy and desire and lust after someone else's belongings. I think that it's okay if people would do that to my belongings. No, we want the 10 commandments to be in our culture. We understand that society operates best when there are some rules, when there are some guidelines, but the Jesus way is not a way of commandments. It's a way of invitation. To be clear, the Old Testament does command that we keep, observe, and remember the Sabbath. But we have to understand this. What is the Old Testament to the New Testament believer? Galatians tells us it is our tutor, it is our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. And when we get to a certain place in our educational learning, we no longer need a tutor because we have graduated to a new level. And so when Jesus came, he came with an invitational way. And he actually, look at this, watch this, Jesus actually assumed the commandments. But then he took everything to a whole new level. Prove it to me, preacher, I'm glad you asked. In their day, if someone would command you to go one mile, Jesus said, no, 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 go two. In their day, if someone would hit you on the cheek, then you would just haul off and smack them. In, in their day, if someone would gouge out your eye, then eye for an eye, you would gouge out their eye. And Jesus said it like this, no, no, actually, if they strike you on the cheek, What do you do? Turn the other cheek. If they ask you for your coat, give them your scarf as well. Jesus took everything to a whole new level. They said, if you lie with another man's wife, you have committed adultery. Jesus said, -uh, no, uh that might be the command, but here's the spirit of it. If you look at another woman lustfully to want her and desire her in your heart, then you have committed adultery. Wow. Jesus, I like the old law a whole lot better. I mean, there's a lot more wiggle room. I thought that was hard, but there's a whole lot more wiggle room in there, right? Jesus does not do away with the commandments. He actually brings us up to a whole new level. He said, that was your schoolmaster. That was your tutor. You had that in elementary school. I am now graduating you, liberating you to the spirit of the law of the Lord in this life. You see, it's like this. You have to command your eight-year-old to take a bath. Eight-year-olds usually do not on their own initiate wanting to take a bath. In fact, they will go day upon day without a bath until you finally notice because of the smell in the air, it's time for them to be commanded to take a bath. But parents, listen, if you have to command your 20-year-old on the importance of personal hygiene, you've missed it somewhere, right? We have grown up into Christ. We've elevated into the Jesus way. It's one of invitation, not by force. Jesus does not arm twist anyone into these healthy rhythms of Sabbath, but he does invite all of us into them. Jesus way is a way of invitation. What's he say? Come, follow me. It's not a command. It's an invitation. Lay down your nets and follow me. Now we can read it as a command But Jesus didn't arm twist any of them. He didn't have any of his disciples arrested uh, previously to his invitation to follow and say, no, make that guy follow me. No, he said, just come and follow me. Jesus is a way of invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That's a invitation, it's not a command. Forgive and it will be forgiven. This is a principle, an invitation of Jesus to operate in the ways of the kingdom. And it's also, by Jesus, referenced as the easy yoke. The easy yoke. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. This is a parallel text to what we're talking about. Jesus says, come to me, all you. Who's all you? You didn't know that Matthew, he was from Kentucky. All y'all, is what he's basically saying. Come to me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find what? You will find rest, Sabbath. You will find a pause, Sabbath. You will find a stopping point, Sabbath. You will find rest for your souls. He didn't say you will find rest for your body you will find rest for your soul because your soul is the inner you. The Bible also talks about the heart of man. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked, desperate above all things. Who can know it? It is the heart of man that we, 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 we have this, this twisted desire of things in our heart. It's in our soul. It is our mind, our will, our emotions. He said, if you come to me because you're worn out, you're tired, you're broken, you're disgusted, you're busted, if you come to me, then I will give you rest for where you really need rest, and that's for your soul. Because when your body gets tired, you take a nap. When your body gets tired, you go to sleep. But when your soul gets tired, the American way says, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Just work a little bit harder. You can do it. Everybody else is doing it. And if you want to get ahead, you just need to go faster, further, more, more, more. And that's not the Jesus way. For what's he say in verse 30? For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. He didn't say there's not a burden. He just said it's light. He didn't say there's no yoke. He said it's an easy yoke. Now, a yoke is not something you find in an egg. In farming terms, in first century farming terms, a yoke is an instrument of work, of labor, not of leisure. A yoke is something, is like a piece of wood that's, that's kind of carved out on each side where they would take two oxen or two animals, a beast of burden, something that plows in a field, and they would yoke two of these animals together, not to harm them, but this was a way to direct them. If two animals were to be plowing together, the farmer could get a whole lot more done. And Jesus is using a farming analogy because the, the audience would have easily understood and they would have connected with this. And so a yoke is is something that is put upon the neck of two oxen, two animals, and they would plow together. And with that yoke, they can be pulled on a rein directing them into how to furrow the row. The yoke is also a way of correcting them. When they go the wrong way, the yoke, the rein is pulled, the yoke is is directed, and they go another another way. But a yoke is also an instrument of protection. Because if, if there was no yoke and you had to do it all yourself, you would get, the, the animal would get so tired that they would possibly die of their heart exploding because the animal just does what it's told to do. And some of us, we work for our, our man, we work for the, the company, we work for the man, like we're just doing what we're told to do, like we're some animal and we should never operate like that. In the Jesus way, there is a time to rest, a time to pause, a time to call in, a time to call off. Somebody say, hey man, I think that sounds good. You can all call off tomorrow. I'll give you Monday off this week. It's a day that we celebrate laboring all year long. We just give our, we Americans are so funny. We have one day to give thanks. Thanksgiving. We have one day to rest. We call it Labor Day. I don't know what we should have called it Sabbath day. Come on. I thought Washington was the only place that you could name something the absolute opposite of that, what it is, and make everybody believe. And I'm sorry, getting political now. They probably named it Labor Day, actually. (laughs) It is a day of rest. It is a day of Sabbath. But not just one day, every seventh day. This is a rest of the Lord. And the way of Jesus is that the yoke he offers, listen to this, is a pathway. It's a pathway into the abundant life that we all truly desire. Look to your neighbor and say, I know you really want rest. We all desire rest. But somehow, in all of our planning and ingenuity, we figure out a way. (laughs) Left to our own devices, we figure out a way to short circuit our own desires. We figure out a way to get in our own way, don't we? And Jesus offers us something different. He says to the worker, come. He says to those who are under a heavy load, come. He says to those who are at their wits end, come. Jesus says to the burned out, you have a place with me. This is for you. Now we know there are dangers of being physically tired. We have slow reaction time. We get grumpy. We make mistakes. We're prone to have an injury if we're working or too tired. But here are the dangers of a tired soul. Spiritual tiredness results in us taking shortcuts. We can have laps in our spiritual judgment. Our moral compass is prone to compromise when we're spiritually tired. When we're spiritually tired, we tend to manipulate others to get what we want. Jesus says, there is something that is made just for you, Mark two and twenty seven. Jesus said to them, "Watch this. The Sabbath was made for man. Say, for man. For man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And here is what he's striking at the heart of. All of these rules that the rabbis had come up with over hundreds of years to." force people into a submission of pause because truly what they were trying to do is is not make people work for a day, and that was good, but the way they went about it was bad. And so if the ends do not justify the means, you should not embark upon the journey. And they were coming up with all these things, and here's what Jesus boils it down to is he says, you're missing out on something. The Sabbath was made for you. You weren't made to be a slave to it. Now, let me ask you this. You ever get a delivery at home? I'm looking around the room at people that you're used to seeing the FedEx truck come up and down your driveway. At least your neighbor. Your neighbor gets Amazon like every day, right? What if you had a courier come to your door, knocked on your door a personal certified letter with an invitation for you to show up at court not for a bad thing, but because it was discovered that some long lost relative has died and left you something that is for you, but you have to be present at the hearing in order to receive it. The only catch is that the hearing is seven days from now. How many of you for the next six days would wonder, would lay awake at night? Would dream about it. I mean, if it were me, I probably would have half of the money spent without even knowing how much it is. All seven days, I would be anticipating, what has he got for me? What did he leave for me? What was for me? God has something for you and you're zooming by every seventh day and no, I'm just going to go in. I'm just going to do a little more. I'm just going to take this. I don't need that rest. No, God has something for you and you are not in a place to receive if you're too busy to hear from God. Amen. It's called Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, this was written into the DNA of the human heart. And this was written into the creation and the cosmos in all. All the way back to the creation story. You can go back and you read the first couple chapters of Genesis. And you can see that in the six days, God did all these wonderful things. But there are only three days. After, after all the work, he said it, it, was, it was good. It is very good. There are only three things in that six-day creation account that God actually blessed. That he said if, if, if the blessing would come upon them, they would be fruitful and it would multiply. And so God blessed, get this, the animal kingdom. God blessed humanity. And on the seventh day, God rested and he blessed that day. Animals continue to procreate. Humans have the ability to procreate. And so what does that tell us about the day of rest? That there is something powerful about a pause, about a stop. There's a company in America that has gone global, worldwide, and and many of us frequent this company every single week. But you won't be able to go there today. And I know that you're really going to want some Christian chicken by the time I'm done talking about this story. But you can't have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Why? Because Kanye said it, closed on Sunday. I'm sorry. Some of you. They're closed on Sunday. Yet, they are by far leaps and bounds the most profitable mid-range fast food company in the world. They do more with productivity in six days than the rest of the guys, all those other businesses do in seven days. Why is that? Hmm, maybe because God commanded it, but Jesus invited into it. There's something powerful about this principle of pause, of stop. Now, Sabbath is never meant to be boring. Sabbath isn't something that you just... You sit and, and on your couch all day long and, and never do any work. Actually, Sabbath is the day that Jesus so liberated that he said, it's in this day that you can do everything that your heart desires. If you like to go to a ball game, go to a ball game. If you like to be on the boat, go on the boat. If you like to go on walks, go on walks. If you like to take long car rides and, 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 and get your, yourself something uh, refreshing, uh, some air, some, some, some breathing, some, some hikes, whatever, do anything that feels your soul, because it provides rest for your soul. He doesn't force this. He just gives us an invitation. Sabbath was made for us. It's God's gift to the worker, to the one who has labored, to the one who just gets to the place of not feeling that they can quite measure up. God says, just take a break. Come away and rest with me for a while. The ancients, our ancestors, the psalmists, those of a bygone era, I believe they had a better perspective on this than than we do. After all, they didn't have a computer in their pocket and alerts and notifications all the time coming in. I'm not against any of that. I have all of it. But I do find that it does seem to distract me more than it seems to help me many times. But after chronicling the many highs and lows of this common life that we have, the psalmist says this, and this is a response of the Lord to all of the the complexities of life. The psalmist is pouring out all the complexities to, to his life. And here's what God responds in Psalm 46 and 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You see, God doesn't look for the strongest people when he wants work done for his name. God looks for the available people when he wants work done for his name. And the fact is, some of us simply are not available to God because we have availed ourselves to everything that this world has tainted us with. Everything that this world has allured us with. Everything this world has offered But here's what God revealed to us in this text. Be still and know that I am God. You are not a human doing. You and I are human beings. And Jesus offers us this invitation as a result of what the psalmist had the response from the the Lord to say, just be, just be, be you. Be still, be settled, be content. It's enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We have a hard time being content in a culture where we're seeing thousands of advertisements every single day of consumerism for things that we cannot live without. It's hard to be content when we're always comparing. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparing what others are doing, where they're going, what they have, what others are saying, always measuring ourselves up. And God just says this, just be still. Just be still. Isaiah 30 and 50, as they get ready to come, I'm gonna close. It says this, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. Returning is simply a word for repentance. Returning, turning to God. It's just another word for that. Acknowledging that you're you're on the wrong path and it's time to come back to your first love. It's time to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And you can do that as you rest in the promises of God. And don't feel guilty about resting. We feel guilty a lot of times when we rest, that we should be doing something. We should be busily going somewhere. There's always, there's always more to do. Just as soon as you clean out the dishes in the sink, there will be more dishes, especially if you have teenagers. Amen. There will be more clothes to wash than you can possibly wash and fold and put away in a day. Just rest. Just have a day in the week where you can walk past the laundry room and piled up sky high and smile and laugh and say, ha, I'm resting today. (laughs) Not today, devil. (laughs) Uh -uh. I'm resting today. But look at the last part of this. It says that in quietness and confidence, in returning and rest, but you would not. But you would not. You know what that tells me? is that we have a choice in the matter because we could will to, but we willed not to. We could have rested in the Lord. We could have set aside a systematic time in our routine to pursue healthy human rhythms of rest, but we would not. And so as a result, we're a, nat- we're a nation of hypertension, of stress, of mental illness, and anguish, because we're head cases due to all of the anxieties, all of the things I still need to do. I still need to achieve. I still need to get there. I still need, oh, I I didn't measure up. I fell short. Oh, I'm not going to be liked. I'm not going to be accepted. And God is just saying his invitation to you today, just rest, just come bring that burden. Bring that weight on your shoulders. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to make a great exchange with you. He wants to take off that heavy laden yoke and he wants to give you an easy yoke today. As they get ready to sing, I'm gonna ask you boldly to do something with me. I'm gonna ask everyone to stand. Here's what the call to action that God put on my heart today for this congregation, for those who are watching us right now, For those who are gonna listen to this podcast later, I want you to take a step of faith. If you have identified some areas of your life where you need to rest, if this has been music to your ears, yes, this is what I need, this invitation of Jesus I need, then I'm gonna ask you, to do something to take a step of faith i want you to step out of your seat while they sing get as close to this altar as you can this is a sign of surrender to the lord an altar call if you will declare between you and god that within the next six days you will contemplate and pray about how that you will enter into the rest of the lord for a seventh that may mean next sabbath sabbath is actually on saturday according to the Old Testament law. We celebrate on the first day of the week. Why? Because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. So we have t- taken aside and put it apart as a separate sanctified day. I don't care when your Sabbath day is. Again, it's not by the letter of the law. It's by the spirit of when you're gonna keep it. It may be tomorrow. You may say, you know what? This is the first Labor Day that I am going to really rest. I'm not doing home projects. I'm not gonna go out to Lowe's and and fight the crowd and buy all these things and and start. I'm going to enjoy my family. I'm gonna enjoy my faith. I'm gonna dig deep into the rich soil of God's word. I am going to rest.